This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. This is episode 605. When we developed our long-range plan, we're not only mapping out how the how we're performing in our company schools, but how we're performing on franchising, not only from a revenue standpoint, but on a sales standpoint. How many new locations are we going to sell? All of that. One of the things we're looking at now constantly is engagement, because this is going to be an indicator for us as to whether or not you know how student count is going to perform going forward if we see people canceling lessons out or whatever that's a that's a you know a a key indicator to us so that's also something that we've uh, we've started looking at um and tracking Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to John Cappadano, CFO of School of Rock, a music school with franchise and company-owned locations across the country today. Since his arrival in 2018, John Cappadano has been tasked with rebuilding the company's financial processes, allowing management to lengthen its lines of sight into the business. Meanwhile, the company's classroom settings has faced their own set of challenges in the age of COVID. We speak to John about how the School of Rock is addressing these challenges and others after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. We're speaking to John Capadana, CFO of School of Rock. John, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Good to be here. Yeah, sounds like a great concept. I hadn't heard about School of Rock, so we're looking forward to talking to you a little bit about that today. But as always, we begin where we always do, which is to ask our CFO guests to look back for us and identify some of those experiences that they feel prepared them 
for a CFO role? What comes to mind for you? Um, well, the first thing, uh, it, it was my first job out of school. Uh, it was at NCR uh, Corporation, which, um, you know, at the time was a, a fairly big company. Um, and so I was hired into their financial management program. And really what that did was gave me the tools um, to understand financial statements, the need for forecasting, really apply sort of what I had learned academically uh, into the real life setting. But I think the biggest thing that it gave me was this concept of business partnership and how finance plays a role of not necessarily being the people I use the phrase, the phrase of, you know, the people with the green visor sitting in the back of the room as, as just the accountants. It, it actually is, is much more than that. And um, NCR really, really helped me see that from a, from a perspective where, you know, I was partnered up with sales, um, sales teams and marketing teams and things like that, where, you know, my uh, insights in, 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 uh, in data was really sought out for them. So that really were these just meetings or were you sent out on sales calls or no, it was just both. I mean, so, you know, think about I'm, I'm a 25 year old kid and I'm running all of the pricing in cause we had decentralized at the time and pushed all the pricing back to the local offices. So I'm literally running the prices um, for all of the uh, all of the deals that go out and working to understand the competitive situation and all that. So it was uh, it was just a, a real, real uh, great experience for me to understand how it goes. And it actually translated into me being into a sales role for a little bit. I actually got the other side, which, again, from a finance point of view, is invaluable because you actually get to see what these what other people have to go through in order to get the deal and for me it was you know i always used it as i've carried a bag i wasn't good at it i was awful at it however it gave me a, a really great perspective on things you have to do to please the customers so it began there uh but where does let's say a leadership track fall into place for you so um so as i as i uh went left there i really started to advance into more leadership roles when i joined boston scientific um and made my way up through into uh management roles there um overseeing the uh what was called the operations finance group um and working with the uh the manufacturing plants and that stuff so that was my my first um, you know, sort of exposure into you know, a more senior role and actually working with senior management at the company. So um, you know, it, it, I, I remember the story of we brought in a new SVP of manufacturing and I had to really train him on how we looked at the world from a finance standpoint. Because again, you know, if you think of people with other disciplines, they're not sure on how to look at the world th through a financial lens. So that was uh, that's really where I ended up kind of honing in those sort of senior level um, interactions uh, that you had to do. And then finally, 
um, you know, going up through, um, you know, had more senior roles at, at Olympus and then went to uh, WB Mason uh, to build their FP&A group there and then just sort of took off from there. My last role was at a, at a private aviation company running their finance team. But I came up through the FP&A route, Jack. So that's really my my uh, my background. Oh, I'm 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 wondering what your outlook was along the way. Because it seems like part of your career, you could have gone a number of different directions. And correct me, John, you could have gone into operations, maybe. It sounds like at Boston Scientific, you're involved in some interesting areas, but not necessarily, you know, it could have, could have taken you out of finance, perhaps, or no. Absolutely, Jack. Um, you're right. And, and really, for the longest time, uh, you know, as I was coming up, you know, it's when the Enrons melted down and Sarbanes-Oxley was coming in. And then all of a sudden, it was you needed to have an accounting degree. Everybody wanted the accountants because of what was going on. And in my mind, I actually discounted myself. And I was like, geez, you know, I don't have an accounting degree. I've got a finance degree. And I didn't actually think I was going to be equipped to be a CFO. And actually, it was when I got to WB Mason. And the CFO at the time came up the same road that I did, came up through FP&A. And then I, I started thinking and through conversations with him, and he's a mentor of mine, and just to say, listen, you don't, you don't actually have to have the technical accounting to be the CFO. You need to know about it. You need to surround yourself with people that have it. But there's so much more to being a CFO than debits and credits. And at that point is when it crystallized with me that said, yeah, I, I can do this. And that's when I was on a mission to make it happen. Well, certainly, uh, as you uh, in your latest chapter, you're realizing or you've completed the mission, I suppose. You enter School of Rock as a CFO. I, I think you, you step into the role in 2018. Is that right? That's correct. So, so that's what's, correct. what and I know it's a, a, a franchiser today. Uh, but but tell us, what is School of Rock? What's it, the mission here? Sure. So um, the mission is actually we are a uh, passionate community dedicated to enriching lives through performance-based music education. That is our mission. Um, we are a franchised business. Uh, we also own company schools as well. So we have 270 locations. 49 of them are company owned, the rest are franchised um, in nine countries across the world. Um, primarily the United States is our biggest market, but really the, the whole thing about School of Rock, Jack, is it's song first. So if you think about, and I use myself as, as a target uh, student, is when I was a kid, I always wanted to play the drums. And when I got you know, in elementary school, they handed me a snare drum and some sticks and a book to hang, hit out some fourth notes and whatever. I wanted a drum set. I wanted to play songs. And that's what this is. This is a you get in, you come in, you uh, learn your instrument, and they actually put you into a band setting. So you're learning through songs and then going back and learning the theory behind it. And the 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 intent and, and what we found is that it's more it, it's stickier. You know, people want to stay with it because they see their progression going forward. So that's who we are. 
Where where did the chain? Where did it begin, uh, John? By the way, I, and and what parts of the country uh, is it populating today? So, um, School of Rock began in the Philadelphia area by uh, in 1998, and actually there is a connection with the School of Rock movie. So um, the 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 legend has it that the Jack Black character was loosely based on our founder, uh, Paul Green. Now, what I will tell you is that, you know, um, from what I've heard, because he's been uh, uh, gone from the company for a number of years, what I've heard is that Paul Green was uh, far more passionate than Jack, um, if you can believe it. So, um, but, but again, it was that whole thing about song first and teaching kids music through that. So it grew out of New Jersey and then it started to um, expand, um, ultimately cropping up in the Midwest, in the Chicago area, out in the West Coast. We've got a lot in Texas. So, and the company has gone through several incarnations uh, to where it's come to and landed today. Well, I think it's interesting. You mentioned, uh, I guess, 49 company owned? Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, 270. Yes. Is that the total number again? Or That's is that the, the total number? number? Yes. That's the total number. It's, it's sort of like two different business models, or at least there's a, the financial component uh, operate a little differently for each. But we would want to learn something about your arrival and what exactly uh, your priorities were and whether you reorganized finance after your arrival. Well, actually, we had to build it, Jack. So what happened is um, the CEO, Rob Price, who took over um, in mid-2017, brought the company back to the Boston area. So if you could tell by my accent, I'm from the Boston area. Um, so, But we had had... Um, uh, pockets of finance and accounting in Chicago and in LA. And we had to build the team back here in Boston. So literally um, the day I started, we had a senior accountant that had started a couple months before I did. And I had a controller when I was going through the process who at the time then decided she didn't want to continue. So the day I joined myself and my controller walked through the door on the same day not knowing anything on how to make this thing happen. And by the way, we were going through our audit at year end. So it was like, oh boy. And we, you know, our private equity partner who's been great had an interim CFO in there. So it wasn't like nobody was minding the store, but it, you know, we really had to build the team up. So we had to add accountants. Um, we, we, you know, had to unfortunately swap some people out um, as the skills weren't, you know, match to what we needed. Um, and we also had to really expand upon FP&A, which was lacking at the company. Um, so that was really my first big hire was to bring in an FP&A person that's uh, been outstanding and has helped us uh, really navigate these uh, these waters very important today. So we imagine you, you arrive and there are certain uh, numbers that are available to you, reports that are available to you, but you're not quite getting all the visibility you want, or there are certain numbers that uh, you think should be more visible. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you experienced in terms of the numbers. Well, um, really the biggest issue we had, Jack, was closing quickly and getting the numbers done. Um, I'm embarrassed to actually say 
the first couple months, it took us almost 25 days to close the books. It was awful. So um, I would use the analogy of we wouldn't know if we were going to run into an iceberg until we hit it. Um, the, the reality is, is that the business was um, in good standing. So there were no icebergs to hit. But it was one of those things where, you know, we just needed to um, we needed to shorten that down um, so we could make decisions and then also look at other KPIs that are going to help us understand where the business is going throughout the month before we get to the close at the end of uh, so you know putting in uh sales reporting putting in um labor reporting putting in um you know uh those type of things that we that we use and and uh to really monitor how our how our business goes and then implementing a forecasting process which has been huge well since you mentioned kpis can you uh can you uh share with us what are the the top of mind metrics for you sure so the the biggest kpis we look at for our company is revenue and student count that so goes a lot of our many of our costs are variable you know we do have a, a you know the fixed cost uh, outside of labor which is our biggest cost then it's rent which is you know primarily fixed and that stuff so we're so really as revenue goes um and student count goes that's how the business is going to go um so that those are the biggest kpis that we look at and then also net promoter score um, we look at our net promoter score every day. We get an email that comes out that uh, and it goes to the whole team and we see it across the across all of the businesses. So not only our company schools, but our franchise schools. So we're able to see how they're doing, et cetera. So those are the I'd call those the big three, Jack, that we look at. Now, you mentioned uh, you, you adopted a, a new forecasting approach to forecasting what was involved there i mean did it uh what was there before you arrived and what uh you know tell tell us how you took it to the next level it sounds like sure um so really it what it was was honing our model and starting from it, it really started let's call it last year when um we developed our long-range plan um as you can imagine um you know, a lot of our company, we needed it, but our private equity folks were looking for it as well. So it was developing a comprehensive model that we were able to um, put in a number of various variables that we could toggle scenarios that we could then map out. And, you know, we're not only mapping out how the how we're performing in our company schools, but how we're performing on franchising, not only from a revenue standpoint, but on a sales standpoint, how many new locations are we going to sell all of that? So it really the 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 basis of it was generate was developing this this model, which, as you can imagine, and I'm sure most of the people out there, we live in Excel hell, pardon the French. And um, and we're no different. We're we're actually looking to get out of it, but it's a massive model that we had to get in um, and and uh, test our assumptions that we can then roll forward. So now, Jack, we're using it going forward. Especially, it was I'm so thankful that we did this last year 
because it's it's so it's helping us right now immensely as we navigate through these waters. Uh, you mentioned the net promoter score. Are there other uh, non-financial metrics that are a part of your world, uh, John, since you're yeah. So the other thing we're looking at, Jack, especially right now is our lesson count. So, and I don't know if we are going to get into this, but you know, right now, today, we are deriving a hundred percent of our revenue from something that did not exist two months ago. We were a in-person music education business you uh, students came to the location they got their individual lessons they had group rehearsals and that's how it went we had to pivot immediately to go to remote solution so one of the things we're looking at now um constantly is engagement because this is going to be an indicator for us as to whether or not you know how student count is going to perform going forward if we see people canceling lessons out or whatever it's that's a that's a you know a, a key indicator to us so that's also something that we've uh, we've started looking at um and tracking is that something you'd make visible uh, do you think you'd make that visible on a dashboard for senior management or where where would that become yeah. circulating or, or well, what, what's happening, so today, Jack, we're actually holding, we went from holding calls daily with senior management to three times a week. And these metrics are talked about on these calls. And we're developing this as we speak. So um, the idea is that we are going to start publishing that in our monthly um, reporting going forward. We've, we always had a monthly reporting package that we put out to senior management as well as uh, our board of directors. So this is also gonna appear in there so we can, we can talk about it because clearly our board uh, is interested in, in um, these, these metrics as well. Your CFO tour of duty was suddenly interrupted as most of our lives were and professional lives were not too, maybe 60 days ago. Looking into your crystal ball, John, became a little more challenging. What would you tell us about uh, the response to the pandemic here? And if you wouldn't mind, maybe maybe just uh, let's go back to those early days and tell us what was the initial response? What were your what were you thinking? Sure. Um, I'm actually I, I got to tell you, um, it, it, we we all uh, were not knowing what was going on when, when, when it first came out, you know, we we started we engaged a uh, health professional around the end of february as this started to really gain traction and we knew we were going to have to put out um procedures we're very much about putting out operating procedures for the franchisees to follow as well as our corporate schools we can't force them to follow these we can implement in our company schools but it's a it's a nice guideline and um, so we engaged somebody to help us go through and prepare this as we were, you know, getting the social distancing in. But at, at first we thought we weren't going to, it was only going to close in areas where schools were going to close down or whatever. And then this thing started to really snowball. And that's when, you know, our remote solution was developed at first to just supplement, to be Hey, listen, if you're closed for a couple weeks, you can use this. Never did we think we were going to get to where we were at today. So um, it went from 
as I mentioned before, daily calls with the management team, operations, engaging their people, working. So the operations team not only had to provide direction to the, the company schools, but also to the franchisees who, you know, we've got you know, probably about 170 different franchisees, Jack. So think about a bunch of small business owners looking to us for guidance on what we're going to do and how we're going to handle it. Um, and I got to tell you, the community has been great because we got a lot of smart people out there, Jack. And um, we actually hold, we also started implementing office hours with our owners every day. Our CEO has a call at one o'clock. And we idea share. And that's where we've actually been able to get some of our best ideas on how to keep the ball rolling. Um, keep Because if you think about it, we're a premium product, right? Where if you just want music lessons, we're probably not, you know, the, the best alternative for you. There's more to it. So how do we come up with other things that are able to um, entice customers to come in? And so this whole community, this whole collaboration. So that's really, um, and then turning it in quickly to processes, procedures, and that stuff to roll it out. So really it's, you know, this team, we all keep kidding. We need a vacation because it's been 24 seven, it's been 24 seven for, for two months now. And, um, you know, we're all going a little stir crazy. Are you doing also some scenario planning? Here's, uh, you know, if the restrictions remain in place for this period of time, if they're removed, here's plan B, yes. uh, you know, and plan C, whatever the three might be. Anything like that? That's exactly right, Jack. You actually hit it on the head. We, we did. We developed three scenarios. And one was uh, the best case scenario. Another one was kind of the middle. And then the third was the uh-oh. And um, really, the reason why we did that and the uh-oh was to see, are we going to run out of cash? I mean, Jack, this is one of the things, you know, knock on wood, uh, the business is, is well uh, liquid. We got a lot of liquidity in it. And, um, but there was a concern of, hey, are we going to have enough? So that was really the, the premise around the disaster scenario was to see when do we run out of cash and do we? Um, and for how long? So you're right. We, we looked at the world that said, if we lose you know, more than 50 or 60% of our revenue. We have no more sales of franchisees. What's that look into the model, et cetera. And then it's, well, what then do we have to do after? So we created a menu approach, Jack. So what we did is we, we isolated all the scenarios with the same sort of cost variables. And then what we did is we said, okay, well, what if we have to do more cuts? What if we have to do you know, these type of things, how much more will that give us in, um, in EBITDA to be by month so we can look at it as levers that we can pull at various times to be able to enact a plan. So that's how we looked at it. I'm curious about uh, this offering because as we know, there's a lot of talk around education and schools and, and you're kind of this interesting commercial offering that is a a school 
similarly to what's happening in education, are you, do you have virtual offerings now? I mean, are some of your franchisees trying to uh, offer their services remotely and, and Zoom with someone and do a lesson remotely instead of uh, in-house, uh, you know, bringing them into the classroom? I mean, is that what's going on? And can you charge the same for that? Or, you know, did, is there some expectation that it, it's not quite the same? Or what, what are you seeing? So you, you've actually hit the nail on the head. This is exactly what we're going through right now and figuring out because, you know, at the end of the day, our mission is still the same. We, we, we are, what sets us apart from our competitors and what we do is this sense of community um, and this, um, and this um, you know, being a place or a safe haven for students to come in, mostly kids to come in and feel like they're part of, a, you know, of a family. And, and you see this all the time, just the touching story. So now the question becomes, hmm, well, how do we roll in remote into School of Rock Remote, which is what we call it? How do you roll that into an offering? And so now in the new world where you would have lesson cancellations because a kid was sick. You would have um, vacations. You could have a whole host of things. Well, now we've got an offering that, okay, if the child is sick or the student is sick, we can still do the lesson remote. You can stay there or an instructor is sick. We can do that. Um, you know, you, you touched upon sort of the value and can we um, charge the same um, what we've been trying, what we've been doing, Jack, is actually augmenting our offering um, to enhance value, to be able to keep the price point the same and offer more. So every day for the last month, we've been doing artist sessions. And what's been great is a lot of the artists, think about it, they're home. They're, they're not on the road. They want to help. And we've done a great job reaching out to some of these people. And we're holding daily, you know, for an hour, an artist will get on. Our students are able to get into Zoom and they're able to see now, uh, you know, this is where my, my education kind of falls down because my musical knowledge kind of stops around 1990. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, artists that are out there that all, that the kids know so they're adding value to that. We're also doing master classes, Jack. So songwriting classes, other things where, you know, to add more um, to that, that says, just hang with us. And, you know, so in knock on wood, you know, yeah, we've, we've lost a bunch of students, but, you know, we've preserved many more than we've lost. So to, and we are going to go, that will be part of our offering. And you would think going forward, like if a class is over, uh, you know, I, and I don't know what the space requirements are, but if there was a class of 12 and you can really only accommodate six safely in this new environment, um, maybe you do a poor percentage of the class can, uh, you know, watch remotely or what have you. I don't know, but I'm sure these are possibilities that are being discussed or what have you. Back to our our finance discussion really. And, and uh, we're up to our finance strategic moment where we ask you to share uh, a moment of insight that you experienced during your, your career. Anything come to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? 
Yeah. So um, what I'll tell you is about uh, my time at WB Mason, um, where I was uh, really charted with bringing up the FP&A department, and creating it. They, they didn't have this sort of insight going forth. And what really crystallizes in my mind is sort of the last disaster, let's call it that, that I recall, which was Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy, which hit, um, you know, the East Coast, as, as you may recall. And W.B. Mason uh, was primarily focused in uh, the Northeast. So pretty much all of, you know, their their operations were out of business for several days. So we had to quickly um, uh, enact our forecast models and we had it was it was tough decisions that we had to make but we had to shore up costs jack because we had bank covenants that we had to maintain uh and we had to make sure that uh given the decreased revenue that our cost structure was going to be fine so you know this was one of those where we had to look out to say well when are these businesses going to be coming back very similar to what i'm what i'm facing today on a smaller scale but it's certainly I'm, I'm digging back into that bag of tricks that we had, you know, six or seven years ago to uh, to today is where we're trying to model out. But the other thing that I really learned, Jack, and this is so, you know, it, there was a lot of pressure to do the do the work, get it and get the answers right. And what I found is you're never going to have all the answers right. You're just. You got to make the decision based on what you know at the time and monitor it. And then if you've got a course correct, course correct. And that's what we've been using here. Uh, if we had waited to um, get our all of our data in and um, and make sure that we knew what we were doing, we still wouldn't have an offering right now with SOR remote. We did it in 12 days. So you got to fail. If you're going to fail, fail quick and move on. When we return, John Cappadano will be entering the mentoring round after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back with CFO John Cappadano. John, we want you to look back once more, and this goes back to, I guess, your your first week, your first month there at uh, School of Rock. And if you could go back and just tell yourself something, what would it be? What was that piece of information you wish you had during that that first chapter there at School of Rock? Um. I think the biggest information uh, piece, you you don't know all the answers. Um, and I think I had mentioned that before. And this is where, you know, I've always proud of, prided myself on 
knowing or trying to know all the answers or thinking that I did being that subject matter expert. But the reality is this is my first CFO role. So I don't have all the answers. So to be able to admit when you don't know something and commit to finding out that answer and that it's okay, that people understand that for me, that was the hardest thing to internalize. And I still struggle with it today, Jack, I'm telling you, you know, it's, you always think people look to you like, you know, you know, everything and the reality is you don't. <laughs> well said that we have heard that before. And that's uh a very apparently it's a it's a really trying experience for a lot of finance leaders who who feel as if they should know everything it's funny it's funny for us outsiders john forgive me <laughs> well no it is and and you think jack when you're hired into the role and and i have to look at this this was my first ceo role so clearly the p or cfo role excuse me the clearly the people that hired me into this didn't think that I'm not a seasoned CFO, so I'm going to learn. And it's hey, we think you're, we think you are are intelligent enough to work through it and go figure it out. And that's what I got to do. We're wondering if there's something you do on the on the personal side of life. You have a habit or a routine that you believe in some way has uh, helped you succeed professionally. Yeah, you know um, the the habit is actually creating a routine that is my so you know for me you know one of my you know, one of the things i know you know, we talked about you know who inspired you and for me my father was one of my biggest um uh inspirations uh and continues to be and my father was a very regimented you know he wrote lists for everything and he had a routine and all of that. So for me, I think that it is important to be able to have that routine to go through, especially right now. You know, the that uh, you hear of all of the people like, yeah, I don't, I put on sweatpants, I don't shower, I don't. Nope. For me, right now, every day, I get up and I shower and put on my my stuff just as I'm going in the office. I have to, I have to maintain that sense of that. This is what I'm doing. I'm at work. Now we're up to where we ask for a book selection. Does a book come to mind? And again, it doesn't have to be a business book, but uh, anything come to mind? Yeah. You know, um, and I'm going to reread it again because it's been a few years since I've read it, but um, too big to fail by Andrew Ross Sorkin, which was, you know, the, the it, it told of the whole Lehman Brothers meltdown 10 years ago. And I just clearly what we're experiencing today, albeit much worse than what we saw before. Um, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, it's just it, it was real intriguing to me to see how the Fed put together the monetary policy and what's going on and just to be able to connect it to what's going on today. So I actually have that back on my Kindle, Jack, to uh, to hit back up and, and, and read. Yeah, great, great choice. And you're right, the timing's there. We're all watching the Fed again. And um, so what, what are your priorities as a finance leader? And this is our final question, I'm afraid, John. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Um, for us in the world that we live today 
It's actually how do we come out of this thing stronger than where we were before? Um, putting together the plans that um, are going to be able to um, have us build on success and the forecasts. And that's, you know, really, I mentioned before our long range plan that we put together um, last year. And that's out the window now. We're actually in the middle of doing another long range plan right now, Jack. And um, that's really the biggest thing that we've got to focus on at, uh, as, a, as a team, uh, you know, not only in finance, but, but as a management team of where we're going to guide this company over the next year and what it's going to look like. Because it's amazing. We went from how we had, you know, we were well capitalized and looking to hit the gas on investments and all that and developing curriculum and other capex that we were doing to now we're in preservation and when can we open that up again when is it going to be safe to start investing again because we have to it's it's because if we don't we will die and we we can't do that so we got to keep the moving forward so that is my number one priority over the next you know, I, we say 12 months, but it's really in the next 30 to 60 days and then enact the plan. You know, I want to be done with my budget by September, October, so we can just hit the ground running. John Capadonna, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate it. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.